Welcome to Single Moms Thriving Podcast, a place where single moms gather to build confidence, connect, and create an amazing life they love. And now your host, best-selling author and master certified life coach, Molly Claire. Hey, you guys. I have such a treat for you today. I had the amazing opportunity to interview Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She is the Mormon sex therapist, and she is amazing. I absolutely loved our conversation, her insights, and I had to go back and listen to it again. And I'm probably going to do that a few more times because she has so much to offer. I've also linked in the show notes here a piece that she did for single adults in the church. And I've also linked her website. So I'll talk more about that. But I know you are going to absolutely love this interview. It was such an honor to have her. And without any further ado, here is the interview. Okay, so you guys, this is so exciting. I have Jennifer Finlayson Five here, and I actually had written on my vision board last year to have her on the podcast. And even though it's 2019, it's better late than never, right? So, right. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm really excited to have you here. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Jennifer is the Mormon sex therapist, right? <laughs> is that what people call you? I get called that. I do get called that, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've so enjoyed interviews that I've listened um, to um, with you and just really appreciate your insight. And I know you have a lot to share. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I know I had I had some specific things I wanted to talk with you about, of course, in relation to this population of the post-divorce Mormon world of singles. So Jennifer, before we dig in, can you tell us a little bit sort of about what you do and what you offer? Sure. So yeah, I'm a, as you say, a sex therapist, marriage therapist. So I do a lot of work with LDS couples and singles um, around uh, relationships and sexuality. And I do online therapy that way because my population is so specific when I live in Chicago. And then I also do, which is probably the bulk of what I do now, I do a lot of teaching um, and I do it both in the form of workshops and I do online courses around relationships and sexuality for, for LDS people. So um, it actually happens that we are having our annual Valentine's Day sale where all the courses are 20% off. So I have two relationship courses on both, uh, you know, how to have a better relationship and it applies not just to romantic partnerships, but to relationships across the board. Although of course it's very important and the, the more close someone is to you, the more that these issues get heightened. And then I have a couple's sexuality course. And then um, I also have a course called The Art of Desire, which is specifically for LDS women, whether single or married, around coming to terms with their sexuality, their bodies, and their self-development, which I think is really fundamental. This issue of self-development is really sort of the framing concept of the course, and it's, um, it's my most popular course, but it's really a, uh, one that I think has a lot of value for helping us kind of counter some of the false messages we've gotten around sexuality, and yeah. particularly as, as women. So anyway, all those courses, they also have a year of office hours where you can call in and ask questions of me and things around how concepts apply to your life uh, that you're being taught. But uh, those are all on sale for 
uh, for Valentine's Day. Oh, perfect. That's right around the corner. So that's perfect. Yeah. And yeah. so that now the last one you mentioned, it sounds like, um, would be really a great one for the single population that we're talking to. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. A lot of people think, oh, should I not take this because I'm not married? But for me, the way I think about it theoretically is you absolutely should take it whether married or single, because it's not about how to be the right kind of wife around sex, because <laughs> that's sort of how we tend to think about it. This mm. is about how do you really integrate with your body, your sexuality, and come to forge, uh, you know, to kind of uh, anchor into your sense of self in a deeper way in your life, mm-hmm. because that's so fundamental and foundational to good sexuality when you're partnered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that this, you know, the interview today and the population that we're speaking to and the issues that we're speaking to that we face after divorce in this world would be, that would really be important and probably perfect timing to do something like a course like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I know a lot of people who are single took the course as single people, whether they were, you know, divorced or never married. And, uh, found it very helpful for just nat- navigating that world, thinking yeah. about how to think about it for themselves. Yeah. And, and it's an entirely different way of thinking about it. So I think it surprises mm-hmm. people. This is not about, you've been told sex is bad, really, it's good. Uh, it's not that simple. <laughs> I'm really uh, helping people think about it at a much more foundational level yeah. and looking at the sort of false messages that have really disrupted our relationships to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. I'm excited about that because I know, and one of the things we'll talk about is some of the fears around sex that a lot of people have after a failed marriage. And yes, right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, great. Good. I'm excited. I'm glad to know that this timing is so great that you guys can, my audience can, can get it um, at a little bit of a discount. That's always nice. Yeah. Oh, good. So I want to ask you, so one of the things, I have a good friend of mine, and when she became single, she has five kids, and mm-hmm. three of them are teenagers, and um, we were laughing hysterically when her bishop handed her the For the Strength of Youth pamphlet, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, it's like you can laugh or cry. I don't know. <laughs> you <can> laugh. <laughs> But I, you know, I bring this up because it seems to be, it's been my experience that church leaders, they don't really have much counsel to give us in terms of, you know, what it looks like now dating. And, you know, because it's like, well, we know we're supposed to keep the law of chastity. And we know that, you know, these are the things that that means you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to not do this, right? There's all Mm -hmm. these do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, you know, as a teenager and in like young adult years before I was married, you just operate by, you know, not doing these things. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it's just kind of interesting when you find yourself here, you are, you're an adult, you're middle age, right? You have kids, you've experienced a sexual relationship. And are you really not supposed to passionately kiss someone? I mean, is this realistic? Is this healthy? And and for me, that doesn't seem realistic or healthy. No. So I guess I'm wondering right. your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's highly unrealistic. And I think that uh, even if well-intentioned and probably yeah. a bishop who doesn't have any other resources to offer, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, because it's not for the strength of single adults. Uh, you know, it's, um, and 
he's offering that, I think, even if well-intentioned, it's naive and it's really unhelpful because yeah. I just think it's, it's almost impossible. How do you really truly go backwards? It's one thing if you've never experienced any sexuality and you're, you're pushing that off as much as possible into the future. I think there's real value in that in, in youth because it allows, if you can push it off in the right way, I won't get into that right now, not out of shame, but out of a decision. Yeah. It gives you some room to grow up and mature and to kind of catch up with your emerging sexuality so that the sexuality and the sexual relationships you create are anchored in something good and solid, right? So it has way more value in adolescence. When you get into young adulthood and later adulthood, um, that it's it's not sound thinking about, in my view, obviously Mm -hmm. this is how I tend to think about it. It's not sound thinking in terms of adults forging meaningful, uh, nurturing sexual relationships, Mm -hmm. because you're trying to do something with your arms tied behind your back. And it's something really important and foundational to creating a good marriage. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about uh, marital relationships, they're different than other relationships because they are foundationally based on the idea of desire and choosing. Mm-hmm. Right? That's how it's different is this person lights up the room when they walk in. You know, this mm-hmm. person gets you Twitter-pated, you know, and mm-hmm. that's about sexual desire. And a lot of times we try to say that's that's lust and therefore it's bad and, and that's secondary. And we, we really do that. And I think we're wrong in doing that because I think we're devaluing this sort of fundamental part of being human. That's a very valuable aspect of being human. Mm-hmm. I, I can understand not wanting it to outpace love and respect. Okay. But yeah. I think yeah. that if it's based in love and respect, that it's a wonderful part of, of our humanity and it's a wonderful part of marriage. And so you have to, when you say don't do anything that would arouse sexual feelings, that would preclude dating, right? Yeah. And so if you take it literally at its word, it becomes impossible to do the work of finding a romantic partner and getting married. Yeah. So you, you, you can't take it at its literal level. Okay. Now you can mm-hmm. think about what's the spirit of that. You don't want to be indulgent. You don't want to be, um, doing things that are just for the sake of indulgence and at your, your mm-hmm. own um, harm or anyone else's that I fully understand and think is absolutely right. Right. But if you're going to, um, consider, consider a relationship with someone, I think you have to dabble in the sexual energy that's between you that now mm-hmm. you can clearly make limits on how far you go with that sexual energy, but you have to at least uh, understand and and work with those that sexual energy mm-hmm. because that's fundamental to the framing of the marriage. Yeah, that, that's different than saying you have to have sex, you have to have a trial run. I don't think that's true. I think you can tell a lot by just the kind of sexual energy and cadence that's between a couple, mm-hmm. uh, even as they're dating. Yeah, but I think that you don't want to think of that as unimportant and secondary. I just don't think it is. And I think people that get married on that framing struggle more when they are in the marriage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think people that see sex as 
um, something that's a threat that's dangerous to their mm. well-being or their spirituality mm-hmm. that they think that desire is kind of Satan's pathway mm, that yeah. kind of understanding of sexuality or that having sexual feelings or engaging any sexual feelings is about being wrong or evil I mm-hmm. think it it it's very hard to shift into now it's good and right and okay yes it's just yes. kind of like wait wait how come why is now it or if it's okay, it's only okay if I'm doing because my husband wants it. Or it's only okay, you know, if we have all only feelings of love right now. So it it kind of it taints sexuality in a way that I think is wrong. Yeah. Sexuality, in my view, is not good or bad. It's it's what you do with your sexuality that defines its goodness or badness. Mm. Is it? Yeah. Are you engaging in a way that builds you up and and your partner spouse up, you know, or are you doing something that's self-destructive or destructive to another person? Mm-hmm. That determines what it is. But sexuality just is, you know, as human beings, we're sexual from birth. It's mm-hmm. a part of our humanity and there's no amount of self-suppression that's going to change that. Mm-hmm. And when you do self-suppress, it actually has negative psychological impacts, negative relational impacts. So the thing that I think we sometimes do in our church culture is we we try to suppress sexuality as if that's going to guarantee us goodness and safety mm-hmm. rather than I think, um, uh, and what I think it does end up having the impact of is that either you kind of shut it down way too much or it becomes sort of like this <clears throat> dark force in your life that then you sort of are indulgent and it's not integrated with your with your principles mm-hmm. and it becomes so shame and anxiety based that you are doing things that are out outside of what you think is good. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. our goal has to be of seeing it for what it is, is something life-giving. I, mean, I don't mean like just for, through reproduction. I mean, energy giving. It's a wonderful part of life. Eros energy is what is, is very much connected to joy. Yeah. And, and so we need that Eros energy in our lives. But we need to be responsible with it. And I think it's the same thing in thinking about dating, particularly as a full adult who's had a sexual relationship in the past, is how do I relate to this awesome aspect of sexuality as an adult in a way that's in line with what I believe is going to be best for us as a couple, most in line with the spirit of the law of chastity, but uh, respecting of our maturation as people mm-hmm. yes, and where we are in sorting out this relationship as two adults with children, probably both, you know, those yes. kinds of things that really make rushing into anything absolutely a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of people who were so afraid of any sexual experience whatsoever that they'll rush into a marriage as an act of yes. sacrificial goodness. and there's a lot of risks to that, but especially when there's children involved. Yes. Yeah. It really, it's really a tricky thing because you're dating, you have kids, he has kids and you're trying to, you know, start this relationship and you want to, I know for me, it's like, well, I don't want to bring anyone around the kids unless it's going to be long-term, but then you kind of have to bring them into that arena, right? At some point, a little, right. Right. And then you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I figure out if I'm compatible with this person in all ways? And you have all this fear, right? Because you've already had a marriage that failed and they've got their fear. 
And it's kind of like, I just found that, you know, and uh, that I know I wasn't the only one feeling this way in talking with friends and in dating that um, I would say a lot of, you know, a lot of us in this realm have a little bit of fear about not experiencing all aspects of life with someone, you know, and yet, right. You want to keep your covenants. You respect the law of chastity and it's, it can be kind of a tricky thing. Oh, it's, I think it's extremely tricky. And I think, um, I just think there's, you're absolutely right. All those factors are happening and navigating that with kids. It's not just a marriage of two people anymore. It's a marriage of however many children you have collectively now. And can that all work? And, and then, um, and, you know, there is something to kind of experiencing all aspects of life, although there's still no guarantees. I mean, even if oh, you were right. to move in together, you know, I know you yes. know that, but I'm just saying it's also just taking the risk of another choice and knowing, am I in a place of being able to, to judge this well enough right. to take the risk? And th- those are hard questions. No question. Yeah, yeah they are. They are. And I know, and one thing, and this kind of relates and ties into what you were just talking about too. I wanted to ask about the idea of this, of sexual compatibility, you know, or, um, because a lot of, you know, a lot of people feel, well, a lot of people have an idea that how can I know if I'm sexually compatible or not? Um, I don't know that I feel that way. I feel like there are other, to, to your point where you were just talking about other levels of intimacy besides, you know, having sexual intercourse that you can know if there's that compatibility and stuff, but it is a fear. And a lot of people also, if they've had, you know, if, if sex was a big issue in their marriage, they are pretty fearful about that. So what's your, what are your thoughts on sexual compatibility? Well, I would say I, I believe in it and I don't believe in it. And then, then I'll say what I mean by that. The reason why, let me start with why I, let me start with how I don't believe in it. Um, I think of sexuality and, and our capacity for intimacy is very much developmental. So for example, I don't know who would be compatible in a relationship in general with Hitler. Okay. That is to say, just to take it out of the sexual realm for just a minute, there's a lot of people who think good relationships are about finding the right match. Mm-hmm. And if we're unhappy together, it's because it's the wrong match. Now, I'm going to talk about where the, there is some truth in that in a minute, but let me just take it at this level first. If you are immature and selfish and you lie and you, okay, or if you have a lot of anxiety about sex and you're a controlling person, okay, there's nobody you're going to be sexually compatible with, okay, <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's developmental issues that you haven't yet worked out that are not about finding the right match. They are about your readiness to be capable of creating something beautiful with another person. Mm, And so a lot of us are not ready for that. And I work with a lot of married couples where they, neither one is capable. I mean, they have marital conflicts, but the issues related to their own self development and their character development are so challenged that there's no, there's no way of creating good marriage until they get this worked out within themselves. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's the idea that it's, this is not, if you get a developed person and you're a developed person, the chances of creating a good relationship and a good sexual relationship are high mm-hmm. yeah. because development's a big deal. Now, are there differences in people? This is where I'm going to talk about where I do agree with it. There are differences in people in terms of how much sexual interest they have, how comfortable they are with physical touch, 
and uh, how much they sort of like the language of sexuality and physicality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, but I think those are things you can kind of feel out and know quite well if in the, in just your, uh, the sexuality that's happening before marriage, meaning the non-sexual intercourse sexuality that's happening. Yeah. So I think there's a lot you can, can sort out around that. And I think that, I think it's okay to kind of feel that out and have a, and to respect that, you know, I think, yeah. Yeah. for example, when I was dating someone who was interested in getting married with me and so on, I, I felt like just in making out it, it did not, feel like a home for me. I don't, you know, I just didn't, it felt pressured. Sometimes it felt like I was kind of managing all of his desire mm-hmm. and it was not easy for, I mean, I, I liked making out. Okay. But I just kind of know if I'd married him, I think the sexuality would have struggled. <laughs> but, you know, I think that when I met my husband and kissed him for the first time, there was a kind of ease and resonance and it was comfortable for me. And it just kind of remained that way. Like, and I don't yeah. mean that there's never been any challenges or anything to be worked out, but I think that, yeah, you know, you can feel a lot in kind of the comfort in being with another person physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love the way you talk about that because it is true that you, it's good to explore that experience, right. Of, of making out with someone and having that connection. And I, and you know, in, general, we're advised to like, just be careful about that. That's our thought about it, right? Just mm-hmm. be careful mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And, but it's important. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think important. you, I think you can be careful. I mean, you can be thoughtful about how far do I want to go and what yeah. do I actually feel Absolutely. good about and what, what can I feel good about tomorrow and all that. But yeah. I think also recognizing there is value and importance in it. It's not just indulgence. Yes. It's, it's meaningful. So how do I do yeah. this in a in a way that I can feel comfortable with. That's really yeah. important. I think we owe it to ourselves to make choices that we can really live with. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing, so, and this again, kind of goes off of what we've already talked about, but I know that especially in this phase of my life, I've been, I've been, and other people around me, I find we're pretty open about talking about sex in terms of like, acknowledging that it's kind of important in a relationship, you know? And so I guess one of my questions is, um, are there certain things you feel like it's important for a couple to talk about before, you know, getting married or talk about in terms of sex and either frequency Mm -hmm. or any of that? Are there questions or, or not? Yeah. Let me see. It's an interesting question to think about. I mean, on the one hand, I feel like there's not, how to say it? Yes. So this is what I would say. I think that a couple needs to be a couple that can talk about anything that needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. So I think that's more the way I would say it. Is there anything you feel like you need to talk about that you don't talk about, or you're afraid to talk about, or mm-hmm. questions you have that you don't want to bring up? that's more of an indicator of there being a problem. So it doesn't mean like you've got to hash this all out verbally for it to be good. But Mm -hmm. I think you need to know that you can talk about anything you need to talk about. That's going to be really important. Yeah. You know, and, and including, you know, do you ever look at pornography? What does it mean to you when you do look at it? Why do you think you do? I mean, these are questions that are often hard for people to handle. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. What are your thoughts about what marriage will be like? Do they match with what I think? Is that a conversation you guys, you know, you as a couple, anybody obviously can have? I think that's really important because your ability to sort through what's happening, the meanings of things, that's an important indicator. It's, it's not about, you know, happy couples are talking about sex all the time necessarily, but they can talk about it if they need to without mm-hmm. any hesitation. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think, I don't know that I have a list of questions, but I think if there's any, I think it might be, excuse me, it might be valuable to have some overt conversations around, this is what I imagine in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I hope for. This is what didn't work in my last marriage. What are your thoughts about that? I think those things can be valuable. My only hesitation is that once you get married, often the dynamics are very different. <laughs> and that is to mm-hmm. say, it's not quite the way I want to say it, but it, there's new pressures and things can emerge that people don't anticipate. Like I've worked with couples who are dating a lot because they can't, there's so much sexual energy and excitement and then they get married and now it easily goes back into old roles where you want it. I'm accommodating you wanting it makes me not want it anymore. Now I feel like I have to because we're married and so on and so on. And so it's, you know, it then totally changes it and it doesn't feel exciting anymore because it goes from being like something you, you can't do, but you want to, to being something that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of meanings that can emerge that you can't actually often anticipate when you're dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm not here to say that if you're having a great time dating, it's all going to, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> go into the ditch <laughs> when you get married. That, that's not necessarily true at all. But I think you you may not anticipate how the dynamics shift upon marriage and being a couple who can handle those shifts and make sense of those shifts is really important. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested to talk a little more about this because I would say in all ways there, for my situation, there was definitely a shift pre-marriage mm-hmm. and post, mm-hmm. you know, and when we mm-hmm. were married. Yes. Yep. And, you know, I knew my ex-husband for four years before getting married. It was not like this, you know. Yes, Russian. Overnight Russian. Russian. So I guess, and honestly, I've had a lot of fear about that. And sure. so I guess I'm curious because in my mind, you know, I thought, well, you know, I, I've made these covenants. I want to keep the law of chastity. But if that didn't exist, I would be all for living together, like having, like kind of seeing what this really like looks like in real life, you know? And I'll be honest, I felt a little conflict there because especially when, you know, you've gone through, um, you know, going through a struggling marriage and divorce is not pleasant, you know? Oh, sure. So I mean, I don't even, yeah, I'm like, I don't even know what my question is, but like, just yeah, I can, but I certainly can understand the anxiety and I certainly can understand, I mean, I, uh, what you're trying to solve. I mean, um, I think obviously every couple has to sort out what they really think is most right for them to do and what's most right for them to choose. But I would just yeah. also point out that a lot of couples that move in together and maybe even have great sex in the beginning that, you know, four years, five years into that couplehood will often start encountering issues around sexuality and intimacy and the, the tension between belonging to your own life and uh, meeting the desires of the other person mm-hmm. come into play. They are, mm-hmm. they are 
they are stressors that are related to our development and our capacity for intimacy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the test drive idea. And, and I'm not saying there's nothing to that, like we just talked mm-hmm. about. There, you know, you yeah. can track energy and so on in people, but it's not... Um, it's not a fair comparison. I, I work with non-LDS couples that had great sex in the beginning, lots mm-hmm. of pat- And then once they got married, you know, the woman in this case, like wanted something that felt safer, less sexual. Once kids came into the mix, mm-hmm. wanting to kind of shut all that down. And then there's enormous frustration and resentment, mm-hmm. but it's not like when they were living together and having sex, they were feeling all those things. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of what my courses deal with is kind of what we can learn about ourselves, particularly in the places that things are going wrong. Mm -hmm. What is it showing us about our lack of development or how we are Mm -hmm. managing issues related to our own sense of self within the relationship in a way that undermines sexuality, freedom, intimacy, openness, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there's a lot of those challenges that are difficult to fully anticipate because yeah. Marriage is the only thing that really prepares you for marriage. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's uh, just like parenthood is one of the, one of the yeah. very few things. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying there's nothing you can do, but that's yeah. when you really, you know, have to test your mettle. Yeah. And so, so I think well, what I would be doing if I were in your shoes mostly is thinking about what are the lessons, what can I understand about what went wrong? Mm-hmm. What do I think what were the factors at play? Mm-hmm. Where were my blind spots in either ha- the ch- having chosen the person I chose? Did mm-hmm. I have blind spots that I couldn't see in him or things I ignored mm-hmm. that now I've woken up to and I think are really different? Are there things in the way I related to him mm-hmm. that expose vulnerabilities or immaturities in me that set me up for other challenges, even if yeah. I'm with a much better person? Th- those are the kinds of things that... Um, are really important. I think one of the questions you sent me initially was around how do you trust if you've had that trust broken, if you've, if mm-hmm. there's been infidelity in your first marriage and so on. And mm-hmm. uh, those are hard questions. I would say your goal is not so much to trust as it is to be able to discern who is trustworthy. Mm. Yeah. And oftentimes people that have been with, un- I mean, first of all, when you marry someone, you take a risk always. You know, you right, can't, people right. have agency. They're able to do things that can hurt you. They're able to do things that can deeply impact you positively. And yeah. there's a certain amount of that that's just about tolerating being partnered with someone who has agency. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also so, oftentimes patterns of engagement. And you might want to look at if you're somebody who's been in a marriage where there was infidelity is there something in the way that I partnered that, uh, that I couldn't really see or I didn't really deal with when there were, you know, there was something hitting my radar that something's off, something's wrong. And I wasn't really addressing it, dealing Mm -hmm. with it straight up. Um, or that it was a part of me that wanted to go blind to that difficulty or was afraid of standing on my own feet. So I was, you know, too dependent Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's the person's fault by any stretch, mm-hmm. but if the more you can understand your own vulnerabilities and your own ability to kind of go blind to something like that, mm-hmm. the more you can see yeah. that in yourself, the more awake you'll be as you choose the second time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what I'm thinking about as you're talking is, and I've, you know, I talk with my clients about this all the time and I remind myself of this too, that like there, it, there is no guarantee, right. in life ever really. That's right. And, and that it's not like, oh, if I do all these things, then I'll have picked the right person and everything will be okay. Because the reality is that no matter what you're doing in life, there are always going to be challenges and things that weren't what you thought. And it's, it's a matter of, how well you're able to navigate and, you know, shift through and handle what comes up. And I That's think right. what you're saying is exactly right. I think the best way that we do that is checking in with ourselves, right? Wait a minute. How does this yeah. feel to me? You know, right. am I able That's to right. open here? So using yeah. your own internal compass more, more yes. wisely. I think sometimes what we do, and I think sometimes is a product of church culture too, is the idea of, um, you know, there's this stress-free path. And if I can just figure out which one it is, everything's going to be great. And there's like too much dependency on getting signals from God. There's too much looking for signals that something is, is going to be the, the fail free path. And I think that's just a dangerous way to think. Yeah. Because what it's doing is it's giving the locus of control outside of yourself, not inside yourself. Yeah, I think people that fare much better are using their experiences to learn and to gain wisdom and to become more astute in their own decision making about what's wise, what's smart. They're learning from their failures and yes. using them to inform their, their future choices. And so, I mean, I certainly think you can pray for inspiration. You can pray for good judgment. You can look for divine approval even on a decision, but I think we're designed to be discerners. And if we neglect that, it really makes us vulnerable. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you're talking about this, this is a a thought pattern, like a way of thinking I see a lot of times in my clients that's very painful and frustrating because they feel like, you know, I did all these things. So then why did this happen? Right. Exactly. So it feels very unfair, like this shouldn't be happening. And then we end up arguing with reality because we think that all these things were somehow insurance against, you know, bad. That's exactly right. which, Which is not the gospel, right? That's right. It, and it, I mean, certainly people have learned that idea at church and so yeah. on. So I, it's not people are just making that idea up, but right. I don't think that's the best interpretation or understanding of what it is to become more godlike because you are literally thinking of yourself as not becoming more and more dependent and obedience driven, obedience for the reward of safety. The the obedience aspect is about like the guideposts. They're the starting point. But your work is to become wise, discerning, able to make choices that you think are in the spirit of the law, that, of, of mm-hmm. what's being asked, right? Yes. But that actually create wisdom and the capacity to love and create more goodness in your life. And a lot of times we want the idea, if I just do what I'm told, it's all going to be fine. We yeah. and so we participate in that fantasy to our own detriment. And so when yeah. people are saying it wasn't supposed to go this way, it's like actually given the choices that I mean, I don't mean to say that sometimes there's not just bad fortune, right? But oftentimes if you look at your choices, you certainly were vulnerable to things going this way. Mm, yeah. And yet understanding that is gonna make you less vulnerable. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing I want to speak to is that I know sometimes there are 
a lot of women post-divorce who feel like they don't want to ever have sex again. They don't want anything to do with it. I've heard this from more than one person. And I remember feeling this way when I first got divorced. I remember saying to some of my friends, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get married because I don't want to have sex ever again. You know, and I, and that's not to say that, you know, I didn't have infidelity or anything like that, but when you go through those challenges in marriage and divorce, it's very personal and vulnerable and you feel very just guarded in general. So, well, I have two thoughts about that. One is that, um, three thoughts, maybe. I mean, the first is that that's probably a lot of good judgment in that instinctive response. Like this was so bad or so painful. Why would I want to open myself up to that again? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it just respecting the reasonableness of that position, that it's not broken. It's not Mm -hmm. a broken position. You know, it's like saying Mm -hmm. that that was not what I want or what happened there hurt a lot. And it's Mm -hmm. not what I want. So I think in some respects, uh, some respects, just respecting that and understanding what it is, because um, the, the second thing I would say is that women are, in my view, just as sexual as men are. They have the same amount of sexual capacity men do, if not more. But women are different from men in that they are more discerning in what is constitutes good sex, mm. right? So men who have higher testosterone are, you know, can be more impulsive around sexuality, can be more driven in some respects towards it. Women are more, care more about the relationship and they care more about the quality of the sex. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. and women can be very high desire when they know the sex they're getting is the kind of sex they want to be having. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And what women often want is they want the sense of being chosen, of being valued of being desired, not just because this person hasn't had sex in a week, but because he desires me truly. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about what was the sex that I rejected so much, what was the quality of it? What Mm -hmm. Meaning what I may be rejecting is the kind of sex or the meaning, and I talk about this a ton in my courses, what's Mm -hmm. the meaning that was being created through this kind of sexual sexual relationship? Mm -hmm. What was it that I was rejecting? You know, if, yeah. if you, a lot of LDS couples set up their relationships where the woman's sexuality exists to satisfy, satisfy the man's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Okay, that lasts about three days, okay, mm-hmm. before that gets to be resentment-inducing and tiring, okay? Mm-hmm. You don't even get out of the honeymoon, <laughs> usually, mm-hmm. before you're not liking sex that much. Yeah. And so if you had a marriage that's revolved around that idea, of course you're not going to want to have sex. Who wants to give up their sense of self to keep their husband from being mad at them. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's not yeah. how people are put together. So you want to think about why, what is it I was rejecting? What is it I didn't like? Mm. And yeah. what it would it be to create something better? I was listening to a TED talk on the airplane the other day, and I can't, can't remember precisely how the woman said this, but she was critiquing, she was a linguist and she was critiquing the language that we use around love and love relationships, falling in love or being smitten, like literally being, you know, to smite. You know, she's talking about the kind of framing of this, something that happens to you and something that is actually kind of a curse and interferes with mental illness. (laughs) I mean, and that can look like mental illness. And there's some truth in all that actually when you're falling in love. But I think that what she proposed is a different kind of languaging is something to the effect of, and I don't think I'm doing this exact justice how she said it, but something to the effect of 
that love is a collaboration in creating something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think of a good sexual relationship as the same thing. It's a collaboration of two people in creating something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And when you have done that with your partner, well, then that's the set you want to have that sex because you're having pleasure. You're mm-hmm. feeling, you're, you're getting the things that you want and that matter to you through your sexual engagement with one another. Mm-hmm. And so you want it in your life. It's not about, well, we better do it two times a week so he's not unhappy with me. It's about, yes, I want to make time and space for this because it enriches me and my life and the two of us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think looking at what you've created and what you want to create going forward is going to make all the difference mm-hmm. in terms of whether or not you like having sex. And, and anyway, so there's a ton I could say on all that. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I had two more questions for you. Do we, do we have sure. time? Okay. Let me just, yeah, I think, yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So one is, um, one of the, my members had asked about this. She's seen that the topic of self-pleasure has come up in some of the singles, um, you know, LDS singles forums. And I just wondered what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Um, so one thing you might want to link to this, Molly, is that I have a long article. I did a presentation to LDS singles at a, uh, LDS singles, um, and sexuality conference. Okay. Yeah, that, wasn't the, that wasn't the conference. It was an LDS singles conference. It was an academic conference. And I presented on LDS singles and sexuality. And so it's a very long presentation, but I do kind of take up the issue of self-pleasure there and a lot of the things that we're talking about, okay. as well as quotes from other singles and so on in their perspectives. Okay, but perfect. to just go to your question, um, what I would say is that I think there's a framing. Um, let me just start with what I think is the kind of wrong framing And then what I think is the thing that people have to figure out for themselves around that. I think a wrong-headed framing, although I understand why it's there, is this idea that your sexuality belongs to your future spouse. And so if you're, um, and and that your sexuality is legitimate once you're in a partnership and not before that. Hmm. And I think that that framing, even though I think we use it as a way of kind of curtailing the sexual behavior of people is actually a meaning frame that sets us up for troubles in marriage. Mm -hmm. Because if you think that now that you're married, your sexuality now is your husband's or vice versa, it makes it very difficult to navigate um, a sexual relationship. And, uh, you know, I talk about this more in the courses, why it's so important to own your own sense of your sexuality. So just one example of, of how this goes wrong is somebody recently asked me a question about that he actually feels testicular pain because they have sex so infrequently in the marriage, but he can't touch his own penis. And so he has to have his wife do it so that he can get a release, which is the idea of we... I shouldn't do this myself because it's selfish or it undermines the marriage. But in reality, making his wife do this <laughs> mm-hmm. undermines the marriage and mm-hmm. makes her resent and becomes this idea that his sexuality is something that she has to manage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. so I, I think it, that's just one of the many versions of how that goes badly. I think that when it comes to, so our sexuality is our own. And how we are in relationship to our sexuality is really important for our ability to be in relationship to other people. 
if we are in an indulgent or avoidant relationship with our sexuality, we're going to be ill-prepared to share our sexuality and love through our sexuality. Mm-hmm. So you have to really look at how, how much am I at peace with this? The, the women in my dissertation research who, who transitioned the most easily into marriage, were, they were excited about this capacity. They felt good about the capacity. They didn't feel a sense of fear and shame. Now they may have, they all, I think almost all of them were restrictive in their behavior. I mean, they made decisions not to have sex before marriage and, um, and so on, but they saw this as a, in a good, wonderful part of being human, being a female, they liked it. Okay. And so that gave them the foundation to develop it more in marriage. Mm-hmm. What I would also say is that um, that all the women in my research who transitioned most easily into marriage had all masturbated. Mm-hmm. And I now some of them had repented of it, stopped it, did it only once in a while. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, what I think is important in that is that they had all come to sort of own more deeply and claim this part of themselves. They weren't waiting for a future spouse to wake it up or legitimize it. And so mm-hmm. there's both a sense of knowing what they wanted and also knowing what they were going for. Now, uh, and and that sense of ownership around it. I think that in the kind of adult position, I think people just have to decide. This is what I would say. Mm -hmm. I I think this is your sexuality for everybody. And I think Mm -hmm. people are in a challenging position of not having a place or space to fully express it. Mm -hmm. And how do I handle that reality in a way that makes me stronger, makes me more able to make good decisions, to be at peace in my own skin, to, um, and I think that that's an adult decision that needs, that you need to make. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there's costs to not masturbating. And if you're in the member of the church, there may be costs to doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you feel like, you're going against what you're being told to do. Yeah. And, and yeah. I also would want to say there's not just masturbating. isn't just one thing. It's like, what am I doing or creating with that? Am I thinking about somebody that uh, I hope to make love to down the road that I love deeply and choose deeply? Or am I looking at porn and sort of antisocial versions of sexuality? Right. Mm-hmm. So what is it that I'm doing with my sexuality and is it creating strength in me or not mm-hmm. so i think people some people who repress so much it act, we don't really talk about this but i had a client who was so rigid about the for the strength of youth manual when he was in his 30s that he wouldn't even touch himself to clean himself because he didn't mm-hmm. want to arouse feelings okay mm-hmm. now yeah. that's clearly really over the top for most people but he, he pointed out to me I'm doing what it says I'm not arousing these feelings but he was so immature because he was sort of on in his psychological development because mm-hmm. he wasn't willing to kind of claim and deal with the reality of being a sexual being as an mm-hmm. adult and so there's costs to not kind of claiming our sexuality yeah. 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 Thank you. And then, yeah, I'll definitely link to um, all the work you did in that conference. That would be great. Great. Yeah. Great. So the last thing, I guess, just do you have any advice for people who are, you know, approaching dating again, possibly getting into a second marriage as far as, um, you know, expectations or maybe, you know, not bringing old baggage into the marriage? 
I mean, my number one bit of advice around that is learn, learn from your past mistakes. What, where were, were you off? What was your contribution to the difficulty? We're often hyper aware of, of our ex-spouse's contributions mm-hmm. and course. sometimes That's less. Easy. Aware- <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. Exactly. And yes. less aware of our own or yes. how we made it easy for our ex-spouse to do the things they did because of the things that we were doing. And so yeah. what is it that we were either blind to or immature around and you know, being able to see yourself honestly is sometimes really painful, but it is the best guarantee to developing yeah. something stronger and better. So yeah, that absolutely. sort of honest self-scrutiny is really, really important. And I think, you know, you know, in the courses, I te- the relationship course, I take people through a whole bunch of things to help them see themselves in relationships and to understand the things that they are were doing. Um, but I think that getting honest feedback from from family, from friends, and saying, I really do want to set you to tell me, like, what do you think I was doing or do that can undermine people's happiness with me? Mm-hmm. Because it's very easy to not see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Our minds are wired to see other people and their motivations. To see our own motivations, we're, we're handicapped, literally. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do it. Yeah. The brain doesn't operate that way. It's a survival thing to track other people, not for ourselves. So I think, you know, getting that input from people is really valuable and, you know, Mm -hmm. therapists can help with that too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that's going to be your best uh, insurance policy against a repeat, because if you don't learn it, you will repeat it. It's just the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, thank you. And I want to make sure, how can people um, get their hands on the course that you're that you, uh, I'll give you, offering. I'll send you a link that uh, you, if you want to in the podcast, can just bring people. If you go onto my website, which is just my name, finlayson fife.com, mm-hmm. you'll see a, a tab to online courses as Perfect. well as other podcasts and things that I've done. But Perfect. you can, uh, yeah, learn about yeah, it there. I'll definitely include the link in the show notes here as well. So. Great. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank Great. you so thank much you, for your Wally time. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Pleasure. Okay, good. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Single Moms Thriving Podcasts and deciding that your life and happiness is worth investing in. Don't forget to join my Friday Love Note by visiting www.mollyclaire.com forward slash Friday Love. I'll see you next week.